all that. I'm going to go ahead and switch. So, um, so I, I thought I fixed that mic this week, but I was the one fixing it, which is why I'm not fixed. Um, I, I was thinking about this, this age 50 and all that kind of stuff. I don't know if, I, I hear people talking about getting older and all that kind of stuff, but I feel just as young as I did when I was 25. Um, I mean, every now and then. Now, every now and then, I try to get out of bed and I hit the floor. But uh, besides that, I feel pretty good. And so 50 is not that big of a deal for me. I don't know if it is for, for all you other older than 50 people, but, uh, but uh, I feel good. So thank you for asking. Um, the part of the reason I say that is because I felt like everybody was telling me goodbye <laughs> this week. Oh, you're 50. It's good knowing you. It's not, it's not really that thing. It's, uh, I feel fine. So I, I did want us to uh, pray for Pastor Krista. She is sick this morning. Um, we, in fact, on the way to, to church this morning, Linda said, hey, we're taking some Sprite and Gatorade over to Krista. I'm like, why? She's just sick. But apparently we do things like that. So um, she was talking to me whether she should come to church this morning and, and do children's ministries and all that. And I was thinking, well, you could be doing a service all the children, clean them all out, get them all ready for the, for the school year, but apparently she wanted to stay home. So, um, so let's pray for her real quick. God, we lift her up to you. We thank you so much for uh, what she means to our church, and uh, Lord, there's such a, a huge uh, void when she's not here. And uh, Lord, we, we know the kids miss her. We know they love her. And uh, God, we ask you just to get her healthy, strong, help her not feel bad. We know she's not well at all this morning, so help her feel bad and get back on her feet in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, so, so in case you were wondering, uh, no, she doesn't have COVID. Um, truth speakers, no, she doesn't have COVID. The government's already counted it as a COVID death. But, um, but it's some kind of stomach something or something like that. Turn with me to uh, Matthew chapter 16. I, I did want to mention, I thought this was really cool. I met um, uh, one of the ladies this morning. Her son's name, he's in the nursery right now. Her son's name is Leonidas. Now, is that cool or what? All I got was Scott. <laughs> it's fine, Dad. It was good. It was, it was it's a great name. <laughs> so so here, here is, here's something. I, I try to explain a little bit more every week about why, why the stuff that is happening is happening. Because the most consistent uh, remark or question that I get on a regular basis is why, why do people, they can't seem to see the truth. Why, why is it they're just falling for whatever the, the latest thing that comes out and the latest media thing and the new statistics. And did, did you guys see this last week when um, the president said that he was going to start putting, uh, that all of the statistics had to come to the White House and that he was going to start monitoring all the statistics. Two major companies that are, that are doing statistics knocked about 50,000 deaths off their numbers. You mean you're going to regulate? You're going to check our numbers and see if they're true? Oh, we were just kidding. Guys, this is so corrupt right now. It is so corrupt. Whatever the number that today's number is of deaths, it's, it's probably less than a third of that. We know that. 
So, so why all this stuff? Why, why can't people just see? Why can't they see all of the, the junk going on across the nation and, the, and the, the defund police? How dumb do you have to be to defund police? You might as well just put all your stuff out on the curb. It, it just doesn't make sense. So why? This is the question that I get. Why do people just seem to buy into this? Why can't they see? Why can't they understand? Here's the thing. Psalms chapter 111. In verse 10, it talks about that the, that the, uh, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And th- this, is, this really is the key. This is, this is the understanding. This is where you have to... It, it really doesn't make sense to me on all this stuff. You, I mean, how much statistics, how many facts, how much can you, can you prove this stuff over and over and over and over? Like the whole thing we were talking about a few weeks ago, that, um, that there is this ravaging of police killing unarmed black people, black men specifically. Except statistically, last year, nine black unarmed men were killed, 14 unarmed white men were killed. You can say that, and people say, well, that's, that doesn't matter. It doesn't change the fact. It, change, it does change the fact. That is a fact. You could say these things all day long. Why? Because at the end of the day, it says right here that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's not a fear of, and this is, this is part of the reason. I, I was, Linda was telling me this just yesterday. I forget that churches are not having church. I forget because we've never not had church. We just kept having church. I forget that, that churches all over the, the country, all over this city, are not having any kind of children's ministries or, or nurseries or any of that kind of stuff. I forget this stuff. Because we haven't, and I'm not saying that tongue-in-cheek, I just forget because we've been doing the same thing for so long that I forget that society, and a couple times this week I go in somewhere and I forget to wear a mask. Because I haven't been wearing a mask. I don't wear masks. And so I go in somewhere and I forget to wear a mask, and they ask me to leave. I was like, you know, and I'm going to leave. I'm not going to be a jerk. Um, Again, Linda put this online the other day. The, The people that are saying... Uh, please leave. They're being told to say that. They're not being a There's a good chance they don't like this either. They don't want to be that guy standing there, but they're the loud one in the company, so they put him at the door. <clears throat> so, so I, you know, I'm processing. I have to go back out and get my mask. And most of the time I, just, I was like, do I really need gas in my car? No, I don't. I can go somewhere else. But, but the idea, I forget this. And so here's the... the, the Understanding wisdom, I'm not talking about smart people or dumb people. That's not what I'm talking about. There's a lot of smart people that have no wisdom whatsoever. They really don't understand the big picture of stuff. They may have intelligence about something, but they don't get the big picture. They don't, they don't, they don't know life. They don't understand. And here's the biggest thing is obviously you, you know in Psalms 111 when it's saying this, it's talking about um, godly wisdom. It's talking about transcendent wisdom. It's talking about wisdom besides just the ways of the world. It's talking about stuff that, is, that, that, that goes into the spiritual side of things and that you can understand things. Because why? It starts with the fear of the Lord. But, but whether you're a, a, a Christian, a pastor, or just somebody, you know, a business owner, whatever, if, if you don't start with truly fearing God, God is in charge, you're more concerned. And I, and I, I do. I know that, that a lot of times people try to change the fear of the Lord, that statement, into just uh, um, respect and, and honor. But that's not totally what that means. It also means scared. 
That's literally what the word means. And so does it mean respect and honor? Yes, it does. But it also means just fear. And if you are not more afraid of God than you are the things of the world, wisdom will escape you. The stuff of, of, of God's knowledge will escape you. You won't be able to understand some things. Some people will get it, and you just won't because you're not starting with, with being more humbled in God's presence than somebody else's or some other situation. If you're more afraid of money or if you're more afraid of people or more afraid of socially correct uh, understanding and, and thinking and, you, and you, are, are, you are allowing yourself to be pigeonholed into the whatever the society says, whatever they say, if, if, you're, if you're more afraid of, of bucking that system, you, 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 wisdom will escape you. You will buy into stuff because it starts with God, you are God above everything, and I am more concerned with what you think than anybody else. I've said this for years as a pastor. The first, first five, six, seven years as a, as a pastor, I struggled with this mentality. But I finally came to the conclusion I'm a lot more worried about what God thinks I say up here than what any human thinks I say up here. And that was very liberating for me. That was very free. I don't care whether people like what I say or don't like what I say. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that like, well, you know, go jump off a cliff. That's not what I'm saying. I want people to listen and to embrace it, but I don't necessarily care whether it's um, socially favorable. Because at the end of the day, I'm going to stand before God, and that's the concern. That's the biggest thing, is when I stand before God, does he say to me, just me and him, not everybody else, just me and him, Scott, you did what I wanted you to do. You said what I wanted you to say. If that's, if that's good, I'm good. I'm good because I, I, I have experienced this so many times over the years where I know I have to say something and it's going to irritate somebody that I care deeply about. I know that. I've done that. I've, I've, I've struggled with that. In fact, those are the things that I struggle with the most, not declaring sin and heaven and hell and all that kind of stuff. It's when I know I have to say something that, is, that, that somebody in the room is struggling with and it's going to make them irritated at me. This is the same reason I don't do a lot of marriage counseling nowadays. I used to for years. Lots of marriage counseling. I don't do that. I do pre-marriage counseling because whatever. But, um, but I don't do a lot of marriage counseling. Why? Specifically with people in the church. Because I'm going to have to say some things in that marriage counseling that you're going to be irritated at when you come and sit back in the sanctuary. And if I ever say anything about marriage in a sermon, you assume I'm picking on something you said. I've just had that happen too often over the years. Way too often. So that's why I don't do that. I just, I just skip it. At the end of the day, guys, we have to be more afraid of God than anything else. You have to be more worried about what God thinks than anything else. You have to be more submitted to God than anything else. And if you can get to that point, if you can get to that point, he'll give you wisdom. He'll guide you and lead you because now you're listening. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18 again. Now I say to you that you are Peter which means rock, and upon this rock will I build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. This, this, again, we are trying. I am trying. Our leadership here is trying. I believe that you are trying. We are trying to be the church that Jesus is building rather than what we're building. Because if Jesus builds the church, um, Satan can't destroy it. Satan can't tear it down. It's not limited to whether people are coming or going or finances are here or there. Or whatever. It's because it's part of the kingdom of God. And if, and if this building burns to the ground and we cannot meet here uh, on a, on a, anymore, 
the church still is the church. And it's still the kingdom of God. It's still the people of God. And hell cannot destroy it. But this, and, and the reason I say it that way is because it's been interesting to me how easily the church has been torn down over the last six months. And I've heard people talking about, well, yeah, but we're staying at home and we're still watching church. Okay, here's part of the deal. Is uh, because I've talked to people about this. The people that are just staying home, and I don't mean for health reasons. We've got quite a few people in our church that are still there in the older category, and they're still not here. I, I support that. That makes sense. Um, in fact, the very first time all this stuff broke out, I, the, the first thing I told my mom, this is before she'd gone to the hospital, is, Mom, I don't, I don't want you at service this week. Because she, she was like in every category susceptible to this. There wasn't a category she wasn't susceptible now, she did get mad. In fact, Linda told her. She said, Linda said, Pat, we don't, we don't want you coming to church this weekend. And she said, oh, is Satan going to take a weekend off? <laughs> I'm sorry, Mom. You can come to church. But, but I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying the average. Linda was giving me some statistics, that I think, two weeks ago that um, some different groups and different um, church denominations and groups were doing. And it was saying that many people are still just staying home, not because of COVID or anything else, but just because they got used to staying home. And a lot of those people are not watching church online. Here's the thing. If, if the only way you can get church is watch online, I get it. But guys, that is, not, that is not the same thing as assembling yourselves together. Assembling yourselves together doesn't just mean hearing a message, watching some person on a screen. I mean, you've got to get together. There are people that need you, and you need them. We need this together. And we're seeing that that's not happening. That's not happening. Why? I think it's the same category. It's, there's, there has to be a fear of the Lord kind of mentality somewhere that says, God, you are bigger. You're bigger, and I've got to submit myself to you. I've got to surrender myself to you. And I need to be around people that are doing the same thing, that we're submitting and surrendering. Go with me to Revelation chapter 3. This is the seventh church. We're looking at, we've looked at all the first six, all the different things with them. Again, why, why am I going through these churches in Revelation? Because if Jesus is going to build the church and he's going to build a, a, the true church, just people getting together and saying they're a church doesn't mean they're part of the kingdom of God. That, that's another thing is, are we truly trying to build the kingdom? I've been having so many questions from pastors about, well, uh, how are you doing church? And did you, you know, when I finally tell them, okay, I, we never stopped having church. <gasps> I had a conversation with a pastor this week that said that. What? How many COVID cases have you had? I don't know. If, they, if you got COVID, don't tell me. Because I don't care. I, I mean, I care, I guess. I care enough to get to heaven, okay? So if you got the flu, nobody calls me and says, Pastor, I got the flu. It's, flu's worse than COVID, so... I mean, whatever. So these pastors will call me. Well, how are you having to do it? And I always start with the same thing. I am trying to build the kingdom of God, not my local church. I'm trying to build the kingdom. And if you stay there and you realize that the kingdom is being built by people that are just as a grown adult as you are, why would you make decisions for other people? Why would you do that? I'm not going to tell you to wear a mask. If you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. If you don't, don't. I, I, the same way with the government. The government tells us to wear masks. Why? Are we three? I, I don't get it. And everybody's like, yes, masks. Yes, masks. They fix everything. 
So we're going to look at if Jesus says he's going to build the church, well, then he's going to tell us what it should look like, right? That's why these churches in Revelation, he's telling us this is what the church should look like. This is the things that are wrong. And these are the things that are right. Get the things right. And he, and he goes through all these. So we're on the last one. Verse 14. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the amen. This is, this is a great, again, every one of these, go back over all seven churches. Every one of these, he's, he gives a, a, he gives a, um, a, uh, a nom de plume or something, a, a descriptor of himself that says, this is who I am, but he doesn't say this is Jesus. But he tells us, as he is telling us who he is, he's telling us what's coming up for this church that he's about to talk about and describe. Because all the things that he says in the, in the, uh, the beginning uh, disclaimer of who he is, is in direct conflict with who the church he's about to describe is. And this is the, to me, I think this is the strongest one. He says, this is the one who is the amen. You know, amen is not just a word that means I'm finished praying. Right? It, it means that it will be made so that Jesus is going to accomplish what you prayed. Make it, make it happen. That's what amen means. So here's the, here's the thing with this. is you, you realize that none of us can say that. You can't say that. I can't say that. I can't say that I'm the amen. Now, I can make some things happen, but I can't say that in a general statement. The same way when God tells Moses that he is the I am, you can't say that. No human has the ability to say that, but God has the ability to say that. Because he truly is the I am. And, and so then the question comes up, the I am of what? Yes. He's the I am. There doesn't need to be a, a qualifier after that. He doesn't have to say, I, I am the God of, or the God that can, or the God that will. He just says, I am, because he is the everything. He is the all-consuming one. He is the beginning and the end, the faithful to everything. So the next part of this, after he says amen, is he says the faithful and true witness the beginning of God's new creation. And part of the reason that he says that he is the faithful, true witness, is because his church of Laodicea is not being the faithful and true witness. And he's saying, let me explain to you what faith is. Let me explain. I've had this conversation with people over the years in dealing with, um, <clears throat> well, all kinds of relationships, but specifically parental relationships, uh, mother and father, when they've had a bad one of those in their past, it's the, the way that we're supposed to do this, as a Christian, this is what you're supposed to do. You point them toward God, who is the faithful and true parent. He is the faithful and true father. He is the faithful and true mother. You say, well, he's a man. God's everything. He says he created man and woman in his image. We are both created in his image. So that means the, the part of... I don't understand how it works because I see God in the male context, but he transcends male and female. He's way, way, way bigger than that. So everything about a woman is in the image of God. Everything about a man is in the image of God. And so we, 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 can, we can know that the way you can look at being a healthy parent, male or female, is you look at God. He is the faithful and true witness. He will give you what you need. He will walk with you the way that you need to be walked with. So he says... I know all the things you do that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other. Now, there's two basic ways to look at this hot or cold. Um, I, I lean very, very strongly toward one. The, the first way, which I don't believe is the, the, I don't believe it's what he's trying to say. It could be. I'll give it a little bit of window here. Is 
that it could be hot water, which is good, and it could be cold water, which is good. Like there's one of the descriptors I, I saw was um, there's this stream nearby where uh, John wrote this, and it's a cool stream. I don't necessarily think. See, I don't think Paul was looking. I mean, uh, John was looking at a stream when he wrote this. I think the Holy Spirit was saying, hey, uh, write this. Okay? But you say, well, cold water can be good. Hot water can be good. Um, I don't want you to be in the middle. I, I don't think that's what he's trying to say here. I think what he's saying is hot water is good. Cold water is not. But it's not as bad as being nothing in the middle. That, because why? And I've seen this, and I was this at one particular time. It is easier to tell somebody that is completely cold, that knows that they are completely wrapped up in sin, and they're not trying to hide it. It is easier for you to tell them truth and tell them about Jesus than somebody that's just kind of in the middle, this lukewarm thing. Why? Because the lukewarm mentality thinks they're okay. That's been the biggest thing in the church for the 30 years I've pastored, that's been the biggest thing that I've seen is this lukewarm, middle, kind of the road stuff that pops up because they think they're good. Why? Because they know some scriptures. They go to church, give in the offering, do some things. But, but are, you, are you on fire for Jesus? Are you passionate about Jesus? This goes back to the, to the fear of the Lord. One of the things that gets me about the, the fear of the Lord as a beginning of wisdom is why church people, pastors, can't see truth sometimes. And I think because at the end of the day, they're more worried about something than they are Jesus. And this is the way that I put it. And this is why statistically, by the way, statistically, Pentecostal and charismatic churches are doing better coming, out of, coming through all this COVID stuff than the average Protestant evangelical church. That would be different if it was like one city and some because you could. But when it's all the way across a nation, there's more to it. That statistic says a lot more. And I think at the end of the day, it's because we have a dependence upon the Holy Spirit. We have a dependence upon the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And it's not just um, I know the Bible. Knowing the Bible is obviously very important. But if the Holy Spirit is not igniting it within you, then you're still missing something. Again, you can memorize the Bible word for word, every single word from Genesis to Revelation, and it does not mean you're any closer to God. It doesn't. But, but obviously, that's how you get the truth and the understanding. But it's the Holy Spirit that brings it into wisdom. Because the Holy Spirit is what causes you to fear the Lord. It's not your own thinking that causes that. It's not just good Christian thinking. You've got to be truly submitted to what the Holy Spirit is trying to do in your life. And, and if you have a desire for empowerment and understanding the gifts of the Spirit and all the things that come with, with walking in the Holy Spirit, you're going you're gonna to have more fear of the Lord. You're going to have a true fear of the Lord, and it's going to lead you to wisdom. This is, this is something, this is why I ask around here on a regular basis. Now, this is just one qualifier, so don't overdo just this one thing. But this is one of the things that I ask is, when is the last time that you were so moved by the presence of God that you were emotionally broken, that, um, that, you, were, that you, had, you couldn't get up from praying? I mean, you could put a bunch of qualifiers in there. Because I know people, and most of the time we put men in these kind of groups, just men and women, both, that they're too dignified to cry. They're too dignified to really just worship God. Just let go. Just worship God. 
They're too dignified. This is, this is one. Now, I'm not much of a uh, dance and church kind of person. I've done it many times, but it's not really. But, but is that because it's not dignified? I know that, that a lot of us would say, well, I'm not going to do that. That's silly. And I'm not saying we should dance in church. That's not my point. But what I am saying is wherever we draw the line, whatever, you, whatever category, well, I'm not really a crier. Wherever you draw the line, be careful because the Holy Spirit's trying to move you past that. Wherever that is. I don't, I don't really raise my hands in church. Wherever you draw the line, Holy Spirit's trying to move you past that. Not because of a physical manifestation, but because something spiritually in your heart, something going on inside that says, can I even be moved by the Holy Spirit? The guy who created everything, can I be moved by him? Or creation was easy, but I'm too difficult. You following me? Guys, that, that describes a lot of Christians. I'll keep my Christianity, my nice, tight little bundle. I'll do what I want and how I want. And Lord, you, you're just going to have to work around it. You're going to have to bless me or take care of me, do what around my uh, qualifiers instead of yours. At what point do we just say, Lord, you're the one that's in charge? I want to I I be hot. I don't want to be lukewarm. I don't want to be cold. I want to be hot. Jesus, I want your fire to burn within me. As the prophet says, it's like a fire that's shut up in my bones. I have to tell somebody. I have to tell somebody. When do we get to that point where we have to tell somebody about Jesus? Because the fire of the Holy Spirit is so strong within me. I've got to tell somebody. And see, here's the sad thing is there's many Christians that have never felt that way. Never. That's where it gets scary. I have never felt an overwhelming compulsion to tell somebody about the only hope they have on this planet, which is salvation in Him. I've never felt that so much that I just had to do it. I've, I've, I have quenched and quenched and quenched the Holy Spirit so many times, every time he tries to get me to tell somebody, that now it's just dead inside. And I feel no compulsion to tell somebody. Guys, that's, that's scary. And that, still coming to church, still doing all the stuff, still giving in the offering, still doing the prayers and everything, but you have no desire to do the most important thing Jesus called every single human to do. Somewhere, somewhere in there is a definition of lukewarm. Somewhere. That's where we have to be stirred. We have to be stirred. And I, and I, and I combat this constantly, this idea that this, it becomes so prevalent throughout um, American Christianity, that Jesus only called some people to witness. You have to reject that. You, that you, you know who's telling you that? People that don't want to witness. That's who's telling you that. That's like saying, well, only some people need to drink water. What? You don't stay alive if you don't drink water. And guess what? You don't spiritually stay alive if you don't keep this message going to other people. It wasn't meant to stop at you. And when it stops at you, it's because it's become stagnant. You've quenched the Holy Spirit. You stop something. You stop the Holy Spirit from moving forward in your life. And that's why we can be lukewarm and not even know it. Years ago, in 1995, 94, 95, I was sitting in church. I was a youth pastor. And my pastor was preaching about the wheat and the tares, right? The wheat and the weeds. And you're not supposed to pull the weeds because it'll disrupt the wheat and all this stuff. And I'm sitting there listening. And, um, and I, I said, I literally said this in my head. Well, I know I'm not a weed. 
I'm wheat. And, and part of my reason was, I'm a youth pastor. You can't be a weed and be a youth pastor. It was biblical truth for me. And so I, I'm processing this. And then he says, the moment you think that there's no possibility you're a weed, you better be careful. I was like, oh, he got me. And then he t- started talking about being lukewarm. And I thought to myself, there's no way I'm lukewarm. I'm a youth pastor. We're known for not being lukewarm. And then he said, and if you think that there's no way you could ever become lukewarm, you probably are. Got me again. But obviously I'm saying this now 25 years later because um, it convicted me. It convicted me so strongly. Jesus, I want to be who you want me to be, and I don't want to assume that I got it all figured out. I don't want to assume that, I, that I'm Mr. Holy walking around. I don't want to assume that I can't make mistakes or be wrong. Guys, we don't want to be lukewarm, and you have to fight against it. It's not something that just happens. You've got to work at being on fire for God, passionate, pursuing God. You've got to, be, you've got to work at being passionate for God. You, you, the worst thing that can happen to you and your passion for the Lord is just going to church every week. That, that, that will put, almost potentially guarantee that, you're, that you become lukewarm. It's the, uh, it's the other stuff that you're doing during the week. If all you're doing with the relationship with God is going to church, you, you're probably headed toward lukewarm if you're not already there. But if you're seeking God other times, not during church, you're seeking God, you're worshiping Him, you're, you're, you're trying to tell people about Jesus, you're looking for ways to minister to people. Th- those, are the, those are the passionate for God kind of steps. Just going to church, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm beating us up a little more than I want to with this, but guys, if all you do in your relationship with Jesus is go to church, you don't have much of a relationship with Jesus. That's just the reality. You've you got to be pursuing him. Pursuing him, going after him. He says, I wish you were one or the other, but since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. That's, that's about as strong a statement as you can say. This is Jesus saying to us, I will spit you out of my mouth because you're, you're a bad taste in my mouth. That's, man... You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And that does describe America, right? We're rich. We don't need a thing. But here's the, the, here's the weird thing that I notice um, from, from all generations, but as you get younger, it gets stronger, is this idea that I deserve, I deserve. I never understood that. And I, I know some of it's the way that I was raised. I, did, I wasn't raised with an idea that you're entitled to something and that you deserve something. It's not the way I grew up. You, you worked for it. The idea there's no free lunch. You know, you know why people, you know why people can, can get an entitlement mentality? Because they really think there's something out there that they're going to get just from the sky for free. And you mean the government's going to give it to me? Guys, there's nothing free, especially from the government. This, remember that $1,200 stimulus you got a few months ago? You realize you're probably going to pay about five grand to get that all back. Taxes. 
You, it didn't come from nowhere. The government doesn't have money. The government doesn't provide one resource. Do you realize that? The government does not produce anything. They take. They do not produce. They're not producers. They take. And so, and, and again, taxes do have their purpose, roads and stuff like that, but not like we're paying in our country. But the, the idea that somehow that 1200 was free, no, you're going to pay it back. And the next stimulus that's coming up, you're going to pay it back. You're going to pay it back for years and years and years. But we think it's free. Look, I got this great gift. $1,200. Most of you in this room, that won't even pay one month's rent. Most. Won't pay your house note. But it's a gift. Guys, we get tricked by this stuff. I'm rich. I don't need anything. The most important, we think we need everything except the most important things, which is spiritual, our soul, our existence. And you don't realize that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So then he says, I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. God, God's currency, God's system, buy into God's system, not your system, not your stuff, buy into his system. Then you will be rich. Also buy white garments from you, from me, so you will not be shamed by your nakedness. An ointment for your eyes, so you will be able to see. You understand the white garments means covered with the blood of Jesus and not sinning. Don't sin. Get, get, get white garments from the Lord. Because why? You fear God. You're going after him. You're going after his plan. You're going after his system. You're going after his uh, morality, his integrity, covered with the blood, his righteousness. You're going after that. And so then your garments are white, covered with the blood of Jesus, and you're not going to mar them. The, 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 what we read last week, you're not going to soil your garments. Sin and attitude and rebellion and those kind of things. And here's the thing is when you do that, when you step into those arenas, sin, rebellion, stuff like that, you are now susceptible to Satan's lies. You are now stepping into his camp. That's why so much of our society can buy into so much of what's going on today. Because we're, we're plugging into that system. The system of sin is the world's system. The system of God is the white garments covered with his blood. If you plug into the sin system, that's where your spiritual food is coming from. Get, get, get the white garments. He says, I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. To me, that's a stronger word than even sin. Not turn from your sin. Turn from your indifference. As I have to fight this, I know you do too. It is so easy in our society today just to be indifferent. Just, eh, I don't care. I don't care. This, this, I think this is also what's fueling all of the stuff with all these businesses being forced to close down <clears throat> and then reopen and then limit and all this other kind of stuff. And the average person, as long as they got their $1,200, well, I don't care if that, that business closes down. Well, those, those are people. That's their living. That's how they keep their family fed. And, and we just went, ah, I don't care, as long as I got mine. I don't know that, it, hopefully, I haven't heard Christians overtly saying that. But that's kind of the thing of, of, the, of society right now is, well, whatever. Whatever. But we can't play around with this stuff. There, there are bacon farms all over the country. They're closing down. Guys, don't be selfish. It's not about you. We need bacon. 
It's, it's just weird to me how indifferent we can be. That, that how many, just, just drive around through Springs, how many mom and pop stores, and even bigger ones, have just shut down? Couldn't stay open. Couldn't, couldn't fight the system. Couldn't fight the government. And we've got government officials that are loving this. They are eating it up. Because it's, it's depressing us economically. And again, it's going gonna, it's gonna to keep going until November, until the election. And, and we just keep fighting, and it's the indifference. And then when we go into the spiritual realm, which is even so much more important, we become so indifferent. I, I talked about this a little bit last week and Wednesday night. I, I am putting some, uh, some sermons together about this. I just don't know for sure when or how I want to do this. But having to do with the, with the sexual perversion that's taken over Hollywood and taken over Washington, where, where pedophilia rings are so strong all through every layer of government. This is why Epstein, they could come in and kill him, and nobody has done anything. Oh, the FBI is investigating a little bit. Nobody's done anything. Why? Because some of the highest levels all through Washington are involved in this stuff. Highest levels all through Hollywood are involved in this stuff, where we're selling children. We've been doing it forever, selling children. And it's just okay. We just, well, whatever. It's indifference. It's just indifferent. And we know, we know Epstein has an island with a a few hundred little kids out there that he brings Hollywood people to. We know he has it. We know the Clintons have been there. We know this stuff. Why haven't we raided that place? Why haven't we taken that island and and, and taken his kids and, and ground it into the ocean? Indifference. Why? Why? This is the part that gets me. Why? Because we are more afraid of something else than God. We're more worried about what people think or all of the millions, hundreds of millions, billions of dollars that, that was flowing through all of that pedophilia stuff Epstein was doing. Because we're more worried about that than God. Guys, God's going to hold us accountable for this stuff. And he's going to hold the church accountable for this stuff too. Are we going to do something about this? The longer I worked with Sarah's home, the the more that I was involved in that and and rescuing these girls, the worse that the stuff got. In fact, one of the things that we recognize when we develop some of the training to train the people to work at Sarah's home to rescue the girls out of trafficking is um, they had to go through some training stuff, and it was very difficult Some of you in this room have been through that training. It is difficult to go through that training. Just the training. Because of how how stark and how gross it is. And what's going on. I I had some some friends of mine. One of them is a missionary in South Africa now. But um, we had about five or six detectives from Denver going to our church uh, when we pastored up by Denver. And uh, we were sitting around at lunch one day and they were talking about all the different things that were going on in the city and stuff like that. And this was right around the time that the, uh, the DNC, the Democratic National Convention, came to um, Denver. And, and they were talking about how that they are shipping in hundreds and even thousands of young girls and young boys. These are underage boys and girls to be available for the DNC. And I said, you guys are cops. Can't you do something about that? This is, and this wasn't one guy. All five of them said the same thing. We have a moratorium on us by the chief of police. During, the, during this, this couple weeks of the DNC, you 
back out of downtown and you don't arrest people. I'm not making this up. And they said, we, I said, so they're bringing in prostitutes. They're bringing in little kids. Well, first I said they're bringing in prostitutes. They said, yeah, they're doing that too. But they're bringing in little kids. So they can serve them to these um, politicians. And we do nothing? I said, we can't. We'll lose our jobs. And we won't be able to prove it anyway. Guys, this is, this is, this is our country. This is our country. This is who we are. And, and, and then when Jesus says, buy gold from me, not the tainted stuff of this world, buy gold from me, invest in my system. Something in our spirit should stir and say, Lord, I don't want to be a part of the other system. I don't want to be a part of Satan's system. The world says, I want to be a part of God's system. I want to do what he wants me to do. He says, I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. Verse 20. Look, I stand at the door and knock. Next, next sentence is interesting. If you hear my voice and open the door. I stand at the door and knock. If you hear me and you open the door. I think it's interesting also that he says, I'm knocking. If you hear my voice, open the door. See, I, I think he does this with us all the time. I think he's constantly speaking to us, constantly, constantly, constantly. In fact, when I have somebody that will ask the question, well, um, how do I know what the Lord's voice sounds like? Does, does God even speak to me? I don't think God speaks to me. He, here's the truth of this, okay? God speaks to you constantly. Most of the time, you actually um, know, you don't know it's God's voice. You would call it your intuition. You would call it whatever. But I believe that God is speaking to all of us all the time. And I think he wants to speak louder to us and make it more profound and prophetic to us. But we haven't trained ourselves to listen. What, what, let, me, let me tell you the easiest way to learn to listen to the voice of God so that you know you can hear the voice. This is the way I say it to anybody. They say, I need to hear God's voice. I need to hear God. You know, I'm praying about this issue or this job or whatever. I need to hear God's voice. I can promise you this. I don't know how God's voice sounds to you, but I can guarantee you this. If you will fast an entire week and pray, at the end of that week, you will know what God's voice sounds like. You will. But you gotta, you got to abandon other stuff to get in with God. you got to learn to cut the other voices off so you can hear God's voice. And if you're seeking him over something really big, you're trying to get um, his, his truth, his word, why would you not fast? Now, here's the reason, because I try to fast sometimes. Sometimes I do fine. Sometimes I don't. And I can't make it. Specifically, if I start to fast, I'll, I, like Monday morning, I get on. I'm a fast all week long. Sometimes, I, there's a lot of times I don't even eat breakfast. It's kind of common. Sometimes I don't eat breakfast. Sometimes I don't eat lunch. The only time I eat is at dinner. And you're like, and you're still that big. But I eat a lot at dinner. So, but here's the thing that happens with me is, Normally, I, I don't, I'm not hungry during the day. If I say, I'm going to fast today, by 10 o'clock, I'm chewing my desk. I can't, I can't make it. I can't even, I don't ever hardly eat breakfast. I can't make it. I'm crawling out of my office on my hands and knees at 11. I need food because it's a spiritual thing. Satan doesn't want you to fast. He doesn't want you to move forward. He doesn't want you to listen to God. He doesn't want you to clear your mind and your spirit. He doesn't want you to have an, a, 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 a truly God-focused thought process during the day where you're meditating on the things of God. He doesn't want that. But if you'll spend, 
Even just three or four days, just fasting. All you're doing is praying at mealtimes, praying. I promise you'll hear God's voice. You'll know. You'll know what he's trying to tell you. But you got to go there. He says, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in, and we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Anyone who has ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. He is wanting to talk to us. He wants to. He wants you to hear him. And, and, and you don't have to be uh, some kind of category. I, you know, one of the things that I get is people will come and ask me questions sometimes because of two things. Because of my uh, position or my education. Well, you went to seminary, so how do you hear God's voice? Well, most people in seminary aren't hearing it, so I don't think that's a qualifier. Um, well, and, and as, because you're a pastor, you hear God's voice. I, I wish that were true, but it is, I, I've said this for years. The easiest way to get away from God is be a pastor. It is so easy to, to what, what we used to call backslide. One of the easiest ways to backslide is be a pastor. Because you spend all your time and energy doing spiritual things for others and not for yourself. And then all of a sudden, you don't even have a relationship with God, but you're still praying for the sick. You know the scripture. And God says, but I don't know you. Pastor means nothing. Guys, he wants to speak to you. Why? Because you're his creation. He created you in his image. He put his spirit within you, and he wants to speak to you. Just, just get yourself to where you can hear him. You, you, he wants to speak to you. So I broke it into three things. First thing is be hot. Um, another way I think I would say this <clears throat> is stop playing games. Your soul is in the balance. This is one of the things that um, I've really been processing this a lot over the last few years, and specifically this last six months, with as much control and socialism and stuff that's being forced upon us right now as a country, where you literally are becoming um, um, slaves to the system. The, um, I've been processing this when it, when it comes time where it is illegal to worship God in this country. And, and by the way, that's, you say, well, we're, that's never going to happen. It's, it's already happening. California, you can't sing in church. Come on. You can't sing in church. But Jay Succolo has been on that. You guys, anybody not know who Jay Succolo is? You need to look up that man's name. Jay Succolo. Um, I first encountered him back in 1994, 95. I was uh, going to schools, doing all this stuff, prayer at schools, and there was about six or seven schools in our area that I was going to. And every single morning we would have prayer at the pole, see at the pole. And uh, we were having about 150, 200 kids every school, every single day for, for the entire school year. And um, I showed up in one of these schools, and all these teachers were standing. I knew that something was wrong. All these teachers were standing around going, mm-hmm, yes, mm-hmm. And little walkie-talkies, okay, all right. You know, and I thought, this doesn't seem right. This doesn't feel right. So I walk up to the school, and like five police cars come up, and they put me over the hood of the car, and they're like, um, we're going to arrest you because of the Now, they didn't arrest me. But, but the, the principal had convinced them that it somehow I was doing something uh, dangerous, inappropriate with the kids at the school. All I was doing was standing in the parking lot with them. But either way. So I called up Jay Succolo. He's a lawyer, ACLJ. And I called up Jay Succolo's office and got to talk to Jay Succolo himself. And he said, Scott, we're going to take care of this for you. 
You don't have to worry about it. And I said, do I go back to the school? And he says, you can go back to the school. Go back tomorrow. I said, well, I don't usually go to that one. He said, could you go to that one? (laughs) And I said, I will. And this is the way he said it. We're going to toss a velvet brick through their front window. And they got a call. They got a letter. They got a bunch of stuff. But when I walked back on that campus that next day, everybody was so nice, so polite to me. This dude's a powerful lawyer, and he's attacked the California don't sing in church stupidity. He's all over it. Um, and, he, and to me, he is, one, he is also part of um, the president's legal counsel, too. Um, but uh, this stuff has to be fought. This stuff has to be fought. Because why? They are trying. There are people. Now, not everybody, and not all these government officials that are making decisions are making them badly. They're just, they're just wrong. They're just deceived because of the fear of the Lord thing. But some of these people are bad people, and they are trying to hurt people. They are trying to hurt the church. They are trying to hurt our finances as a country. They are trying to hurt politics. I mentioned this Wednesday night, I think it was, or, or last week. Kamala Harris, the one that may be vice presidential pick, she came out this last or two weeks ago and said, when we get back into power, all you people that voted for President Trump, we are coming after you, and we're taking everything you got. Did that really happen? I don't, I, maybe I'm wrong. Look it up. Maybe I made that up. Look it up. This is the thing for me is n- nobody, nobody seems to look up things and look for facts. Guys, there are people that really are about you being destroyed because you're a Christian. That's it. You being destroyed. We've we, we got we to be hot. We've got to be passionate about the Lord. We can't, we can't keep playing around. We've been playing around too long. The second thing is open your eyes. He said he's going to give us salve that will help our eyes be opened. That's a Holy Spirit thing. The Holy Spirit has to open your eyes. The salve comes from the Holy Spirit, not from something of the world. And here's the thing. is not, not only just from seeing truth. You can look at truth all day long. You can look at the facts, and that doesn't mean your eyes are open. I, I, I can have a conversation with two people, show both of them facts. One of them can get it. One of them completely doesn't get it. You have, the whole, have to have the Holy Spirit open your eyes. And, and, and don't think you have all you need. You need more. You need more. And then the third thing is be victorious. Stand for Jesus. Be more concerned about what Jesus thinks than anything else. Not, not about the person you work with or the, the, the politician or whatever. Be more concerned about what Jesus thinks. This, this goes down, this next scripture, Revelation chapter 12, it goes down as, as to me as one of the more powerful just, just this is who we have to be kind of scriptures. Revelation chapter 12, I'm going to start at verse 10. The focus is verse 11, but I'm going to start at verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens. It has come at last. Salvation and power in the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. Remember what I talked about a couple of weeks ago. Jesus is the authority. He's, he's the all authority. You better be more concerned about him than anything. Scripture says that we get more concerned about somebody that can put our physical body to death, but we're not concerned about somebody called Jesus that can put our spiritual life to death. You better be more concerned about Jesus. Your, your, your future depends upon it. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth, the one who accuses them before God day and night, and they have defeated him by the blood of the Lamb. That's, that's where it starts. 
They have defeated him. They have defeated Satan. You defeat Satan. I defeat Satan by the blood of the Lamb. Get Jesus' blood covering you. And by their testimony. See, guys, the testimony is part of it. What you're saying about Jesus and who you're saying to is part of your victory. We've lost that in American church. We've got to get back to the testimony as part of our existence. And I don't mean standing up in church and saying God did this. That has some value and some merit, but it's very limited. The most important thing is saying it to somebody out there. Saying it to somebody out there. Telling somebody what Jesus has done for you that doesn't know him. And they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. That's powerful. If you get to the point where your life means nothing to you in relationship to Jesus, then he's going to give you his wisdom. It's a guarantee. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who live in the heavens rejoice. But terror will come on the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you in great anger, knowing that he has little time. Why don't you stand with me? I really don't think we have that much time. Could be totally wrong. Could be, Jesus may not come back for another thousand years. <clears throat> Don't know. But I really believe that's not the case. I believe he's, he's coming soon. And, and our, it's important that we be victorious. We be the overcomers. Don't, just don't play around. I just don't think we have all that much time. Again, starting next week, I'm going to start a series on the rapture, the marriage to Jesus Christ, and... Um, the uh, Feast of Trumpets. I'm going to show you how all that wraps together. and We're going to start. It's going to be a little mini-series because I believe that this is where we are. And I think we, need to, I think we need to think about this and process this. Jesus is coming. And we need to think that way. We need to look that way. We need to have that attitude. Live that way. All right, bow your heads with me. I want to ask you the simple question. It's so important. I try to ask around her all the time. Do you know that Jesus is in charge of your life? I'm not, I'm not going to ask you to come down front or anything like that. We're just all going to pray together as a group here in a minute. But if you say, I need Jesus in charge of me. I want to I be passionate about the Lord. And this may include some of you that are saying, you know, I, I used to be hot, but I've kind of got lukewarm. I used to be hot. So, so here's the question. Do you want Jesus as the most important thing in your life, but he's not right now. If that's you, I'd like you to raise your hand real quick. We're going to pray. Yeah. Okay. All right. Anybody else? I don't want to rush through this. All right. Okay. So here's, here's where this is. We're going to pray together. You're going to repeat a prayer with me. And by the way, anytime you're repeating this prayer, if you want to go off the reservation and pray your own thing, that's great. God's really wanting to hear your voice more than my voice. And just ask him, Lord, I just need you to be in charge of me. Let's do this all together, and you do the best you can. You do the best you can to make this between you and the Lord. Let's all pray together. Lord God, we need you more than anything. I want to be passionate about you. I want to serve you with everything about me. I ask you to forgive me of anything I've ever done that's not pleasing to you. And I want to spend the rest of my life serving you.
In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God, thank you for this. Thank you. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you that I am forgiven. Lord, thank you that I'm forgiven. Thank you that every person in this room that is serious with you, they're forgiven. They're washed clean. Those white garments covered with the blood of Jesus. Lord, and help us to help us to process this and to stand this week, to, to take a stand and say, I follow Jesus. I follow Jesus. God, help us to have fear of you. Lord, make us into the wise people you desire us to be. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we lift up Krista one more time. We ask you to help her. We know she's not well. So physically, just heal her body. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you the opportunity to let somebody know Jesus loves them. Do the best you can. Tell somebody about Jesus. He'll honor that in your life. It's a guarantee. So say hello to somebody. Shake their hand. Tell them how glad you are that they're here. Try to mean it. And uh, we will see you Wednesday. We will not be having regular service Wednesday night because we're having um, promotion stuff for the girls and boys ministries here. But come join us if you would like. That'd be great. See you then.